Okay, 1 John 5, verse 13. Here we go. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that, he ha- that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time we have this morning to worship Uh, to hear your truth. And God, we pray that you would bring an obedience, a yieldedness in us as as we hear the word of God. Father, make us people who pray. God, make us people who are eager, who are uh, willing to invest time and effort to call on you for those things that you've promised to answer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to pray, for the privilege of prayer. Father, that we can come before you. Wow. Thank you. Father, we know that we we can only come in Christ, in Jesus, in his name. Amen. You'll notice the word confidence. Did you see that in uh, verse 16 and verse 14? And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Now, remember how John likes certain words? Uh, In this series, we've already looked at the word abide numerous times and how John uses that over and over again. Okay, he also uses this word confidence numerous times. And it is a word that means to speak boldly, okay? To have no fear of speaking, all right? That's literally what the Greek means. When I, when I was thinking about that word, I was thinking about my, I've got, I've got four daughters. I was thinking about three of them. The two oldest ones used to frustrate me greatly because they, they would have this fear of, of speaking, this fear of boldness. Actually, they didn't struggle with things like reciting verses or singing in church, but, but we'd be at a restaurant. When I, I say restaurant, I probably mean fast food, you know, we'd be at a fast food place and, and they would say, you know, dad, I want some barbecue sauce or dad, can I get a, a some more napkins or dad, can I get this? And I, I would always say, okay, yes, but I want you to go ask because I knew they struggled with that, you know? And I had one girl that, you know, she may really like sauce, some sauce or whatever. If I said, I want you to go up there and ask for it, she'd say, no, it's okay. I'll go without, you know? She just wouldn't do it at all. And then I had another girl who she was very, very compliant to my instructions. I would say, you know, it was Addie. I'd say, Addie, I want you to go up there and ask for this. And she'd be like, okay, dad. And she'd go up and she'd get in line over in the corner somewhere and she'd stand like this. And I, 30, 40 people go by her, you know? I mean, nobody would ever, I mean, she just was so timid, she wouldn't like go up there and, and ask for the thing, you know? And so finally, I'd have to get up and help her. And now I've got a third daughter, Avery. Avery is my, finally, my, my bold one, okay? I mean, she will talk to anybody and ever. We were at a wrestling matchup in Altus, uh, stands full of people, Avery jumps up, runs down the stairs. I don't know where she's going. She runs down the stairs. She she spotted an older couple with with some nachos and pops, and they're having a little hard time getting. Actually, they're just older. They're just taking a while, you know. She runs down there. I see her. Hi, my name's Avery. Can I be of assistance to you? You know, she helps them with their nachos. She gets a, a free pop out of the deal, you know. Brings them up there, sits them down, visits with them, you know. Uh, she comes home from school the other day. She'd been visiting with uh, Congressman Hules Camp from Kansas on the phone. How that stuff happens, I don't know. But she's like, yeah. 
I talked to Congressman Hill's camp. And you know, uh, anyway, she's she's the one that has confidence in in speaking. Okay, that's what this word means. Okay, so John is telling us, and this is the confidence that we have toward God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. John is saying we ought to have boldness toward God in coming and asking for our request. Now. We need to unpack that. Why should we have confidence? Why should we have boldness of speaking? Well, let me tell you, it has nothing to do with the fact that we've got great things to say, okay? It has nothing to do with the fact that maybe we have information that God needs. No, none of those things. What John is saying is that in Christ, we have access to God now, okay? Now, put this in perspective. Do you and I have any right to come before the God of the universe on our own? The answer to that is no, okay? Do you and I have any right to to stand before the God whom we have defied, whom we have sinned against, whom we have scorned and chosen other things over him and transgressed and his wrath is upon us? Do we have the right to barge into the throne room of God and ask God for anything? No, we do not. I think about Esther, the book of Esther, where, where the tradition of the Persian kings was nobody could come into that throne room. Nobody could come before the king unless you were invited. Remember, that's, that's Esther's big dilemma in the book of Esther is she's, she, she's got to save the people of Israel, but she's not been invited. And she takes this risk upon her life by coming into the throne room of the king of Persia. Now, if that's the way it is with the king of Persia, who is just a man, How is it with the God of the universe? You and I have no right on our own to come before God. But what is John telling us? John is saying we have confidence because of Jesus, because of our relationship with Christ. Notice verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, knowing that you're joined to, to, to Christ, knowing that, you, that life abides in you gives you confidence to come before God. If we look at the other places in John where this, this word confidence is, is stated, go to chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him. Uh, abide in him so that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. John is saying that when Christ comes back, if you know that you are joined to him by faith, if you know that you have his righteousness, then you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be afraid. In chapter 3, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Chapter 4, verse uh, 17 By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. John is saying we can come before God. We we can come boldly before the Father because we have the blood of Jesus covering us. We are joined to Christ. We are clothed with Christ. That's the the way Paul describes it in Galatians. We are clothed with Jesus and so we have confidence and access and boldness to come before God. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, it says, because of Jesus being our high priest, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. John is inviting us to come before God and pray. Now, what should we pray about? Well, notice verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything, okay, according to his will, He hears us. And then verse 15, an incredible promise. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. 
I mean, talk about big today, all right? That is huge that God is telling you today through His Word that if we ask anything, we come to Him in Jesus' name, if we come to Him covered with Christ, joined to Christ by faith, if we come to the Father in that way, and if we ask of Him that which is according to His will, that we know that we have it. That we know that God is going to give it. That we know it's on its way. That we know it's been delivered. That we know that God is going to grant that which we have asked. Now, what does that phrase mean, according to God's will? I don't want to get too complicated with this, but I do want us to realize that the will of God means a couple different things in the Scripture, okay? So first of all, you have what we call God's decree will, or His will of decree, okay? Which means that God is working all things together for good to bring about His ultimate victory over sin, death, the world, and evil, okay? That is true, is it not, all right? Even the bad things in life, God is working in them, isn't he? Do you think God is working through ISIS? You know, here are are men who are worshiping an an idolatrous God, a false God, who are are murdering and killing in the name of this false God. Is that according to God's desire? No, not at all. Okay, God desires men to be righteous. God desires men men to love him, to worship him, to be, be like Christ. But is God using ISIS to bring about his perfect plan in the end? You bet he is, okay? This, this, the way this is going to end is not up for dispute, okay? It's, it, we're not waiting to see what's going to happen, you know? We know that God is bringing all things together for his good and for his glory. So you have kind of the big will of God, and then within that, you have the will for, for individuals, which at times God permits people to go against his will, okay? You believe me? Just look at your own life, Right? You've all gone against the will of God, haven't you? You've all, we've all sinned against God. We've all thwarted God's plan in the sense that we've not been obedient to God. We've transgressed against God. And there's lots of evidences of that in the Scripture. And so, when, 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 when John says here, we ask according to His will, I believe he's talking about the individual will for our lives, okay? Now, what is that will? Well, remember how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Okay, so Jesus says this. When you pray, pray that God's will be done. Now, when you think about the will of God, it really changes the way you look at prayer, first of all. Okay, a lot of people look at prayer as, okay, you know, God's over here and he wants this. And, but boy, I want this. And so when I pray, I'm going to try to change God's mind. Listen, you don't. You're not going to change God's mind, okay? Uh, why would you want to change God's mind, by the way? I mean, you, that, that implies that I've got information that God doesn't have, doesn't it? That implies that, that I know better than God, that I've got a better plan somehow. No, not at all. None of that is true at all, okay? What, what's true is we want God's will, okay? God's will is the best possible scenario in my life. Even if it might include difficulty, suffering, struggle, at times it does include those things. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse 17, it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. In other words, it, it, it says right there in the Scripture, sometimes God's will is that we do what is right, we do what is Christ-like, we be obedient to God, and, and there comes consequences for that. Okay, But that's what we want. That, that's the best possible scenario. And so a big part of prayer is, is as we pray, 
We, we, we are being molded from our will into God's will. We're being moved from our way into God's way through the act of prayer. One of the primary purposes of prayer is to get my heart lined up with God's heart, to get my, my will lined up with God's will. This is what's scary if you don't have a life of prayer. If you claim to be a believer here today, but really as you look at your week, there's not much time spent in prayer. The scary thing about that is the means by which God has given you to move you into righteousness, to move you into his will, to move you into right thinking, to move your heart to his heart, you're neglecting. You're not using the means that God has given you in order to shape your heart and mind. And so one of the things that's going to happen in prayer is that we're not going to convince God of something different, but rather we're going to move into his will. We're going to, we're going to move into his heart. Okay. Let me give you some examples of that. Second Corinthians chapter 12 is a good one. Uh, beginning in verse 7 and 8. Okay, so in verse 7, Paul talks about how he's been given a thorn in the flesh. He, he's got a painful thing in his life. Anybody ever have a painful thing in your life? you got a struggle, just a hardship, a something that's just getting at you. It's just really bothering you. Paul has that in his life. And so in verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Okay, so what is Paul doing? Paul is going to the Lord, and he's saying, God, I got this hardship, I got this struggle, I got this painful thing in my life. God, would you please take it away? Okay, now again, sometimes that is the will of God, and indeed, God will take that away in response to your prayer. Okay, as you pray, God uses that prayer as a means for your deliverance. That, 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 that's the purpose of prayer, is God has chosen, hasn't he? God has chosen that, that through the prayers of his people that he'll move. Or he won't move when we don't pray, okay? And so there are times where God will indeed grant that, and that is his will to take that away. In this particular case, though, notice what happens. Verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay? So what happens as Paul is praying? As Paul is praying, he gets a word from God. Okay? Now, as you're praying... Does God ever speak to you? I think if you if you are consistent in prayer, you would say yes, okay? Maybe you don't hear a voice, but you get a strong impression about what God wants. You, 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 a verse comes to mind. You're reading the scriptures. He speaks through his word. He speaks through other people. But as Paul is praying, he, he, he gets a conviction that, that what God is saying is, Paul, this thorn is for your good. My grace is sufficient. I'm giving you enough power, enough, enough grace. And, uh, and, uh, I'm giving you enough to handle this, and it's good for your life. And so notice what happens in, in, in verse 9. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Okay. Now, what, what happened in verse 8? In verse 8, Paul was complaining about his weaknesses, right? Paul was bemoaning his weaknesses. Why is this thorn in my life? Why did you put this here? Okay. But now after he's been praying and God has spoken to him, Bam, Paul has moved over to now celebrating the fact that this is in his life. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 9. Verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Do you you see what happened? Paul starts the passage saying, God, take this away. Paul ends the passage saying, God, thank you for this. I really needed this in my life. And your power has come so much so in me that it's a blessing to have it. Now, how did he get there? Through prayer. You see, God is shaping Paul through prayer. Let me give you another example. Philippians chapter 1. Okay, so in this passage, Paul and the church are praying that he would be released from prison. Okay, and so Paul starts out in verse 19 of chapter 1. 
For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Okay? Now, let me ask you. Are there times where we pray for something and God answers in a way that we did not expect? Yes. Okay? Here's the question I want to ask you. What does it mean to be delivered? You see, I I think Paul has a wide spectrum of what he means by that word delivered. Okay? And and the reason I believe that is because as he begins to pray about that, he doesn't start with, God, get me out of jail, right? I mean, if you were in jail, our tendency would be to what? You know, God, I got one prayer for you, freedom, okay? That's it, you know? I'm not worried about the prisoners around me. I'm not worried about, you know, the gospel going forth. I'm not worried about my impact upon the guards. I got one prayer, God, get me out, okay? Paul doesn't start there. Paul actually starts in a different place, okay? So in verse 19, he says, I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. You see his first prayer? God, don't let me dishonor you in my imprisonment. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That, that's, that's, that's at the top of the list for Paul. God, don't let me dishonor you here. Don't, don't let me mess this up. God, don't let, me, don't let me turn my trial into sin. Okay? Verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22. If I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. You see what he's grappling with? He's saying, God, if you get me out, that's great, because here's how I'm going to use my time. I'm going to build up the church. But Lord, if you leave me here, and if I'm executed, that's actually what I want. That's a strange sentence, isn't it? That's actually what he wants. I want to go home with you, Jesus. I want the new heavens and the new earth. I want ultimate freedom. That's, That's what Paul's desire is. But as he's praying, notice what happens. Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh. So in other words, to get out of prison and to go back to work is more necessary on your account, the church's account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see where he ends up there? He ends up very confident that God's going to get him out of prison. And that as he gets out of prison, he's going to go and he's going to build up the churches. And he's going to strengthen them in faith. And so when we started the prayer, Paul's like, I'm just praying that God would deliver me in the sense that I would not dishonor him. Okay? But as he continues through the prayer, he becomes convinced, you know what? I really think what God's going to do is he's going to get me out. And he's going to get me out for the purpose that I might go back and strengthen the church. What I'm telling you is, God shapes your will by prayer. Folks, what happens if you don't pray? What happens if, if you don't come to God and allow this process to work in your life? What happens? God's will may be here, and you may be going in this direction, and you're not going to get to it. You're not, you're not going to get over on the same page with God unless you use the means that God has given you, which is prayer. Now, I still think some of you are going to come back. You're going to, in response to, to what we've seen here, and you're going to say, well, if God already has a perfect will... And if, if, you know, if, I, if my job is not to change it, then why should I even pray? Well, let me give you a very simple answer to that. And this is my whole approach to the scriptures, okay? I know that some of you, you're going to need some more in-depth arguments, okay? But here's my simple answer. Why should you pray when God already has a perfect will? Because he told you to, okay? He told you to. And I mean, it's just, it's just a real good practice to obey the God of the universe, okay? Whenever God tells you to do something, I think you ought to do it. And God has told us to pray. God has told us that he has chosen prayer. 
to be the means by which he works in the world, okay? When God is going to move, when he's going to save somebody, when he's going to draw somebody back out of sin, when he's going to redeem somebody, when he's going to fix a marriage, when God's going to do that, he uses prayer. He works through the prayers of the people. And I really believe in a real way, if we don't pray, God holds back his work. And as we pray, God unloads his power. Okay, and so in a real way, God's will is here. We're over here. We need to get to God's will and we need to pray. We need to get God's heart. And as we do and as we're praying his will, he's going to unload his power and he's going to answer and he's going to move in people's lives. I think to play the whole, well, if God already knows what he's going to do, then I'm just, there's no need for me to pray. That's just, that's really disobedience is what that is. I mean, that's almost like saying, well, you know, God could save whoever he wants, and so there's no need for me to have faith. Well, the means by which God has chosen to save people is through faith. And, and, and so our job is to believe. And as we believe, God saves. And God gives us faith to believe. I mean, we shouldn't play these mental games with God. So there's much prayer that is needed. And the second reason you ought to pray even though God already has his perfect will, is because you don't have anything better than that. I had a young teenage boy, and I appreciated his, his spirit at Fifth Street, where I came from, and he rushed out to greet me at the end of the service, and he said, okay, I, I need to ex- explain that to me some more. You know, if, if God already has a perfect will, then, then, then why am I praying? You know, because in his mind, we pray to change God's will. You know, like God says, Jason, I want you to be a potato farmer, you know, and I'm like, God, I want to be an astronaut, you know, and so like I'm praying, God, give me an astronaut, let me be an astronaut, I don't want to be a potato farmer, you know, well, let me ask you this question, if God wants me to be a potato farmer, do I really want to be an astronaut, you know, I, I mean, do I know, do I know something that God doesn't know, do I know better than God, I, can I imagine a life better than his perfect will, you know, I, I just don't think I can. I mean, I don't know all those things. And so what, what I want is I want God's will, okay? Now, some of you are going to ask, well, Pastor, what is God's will? That's why you memorize this thing, right? We've got the will of God right here. And, and we could look at passage after passage after passage. Let me, there's some cool ones in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God. Chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I mean, okay, we, lots of examples of this is God's will, okay? This is God's will. So as we look at 1 John, and as we look at what John's been telling us this whole, all five chapters, would, we not, would it not be very clear to us that it's God's will for you to obey God's commands and for you to love your brother? The reason I say that is because John's told us that about 30 times, hasn't he, in this book? And so when you think about from that, from that standpoint, okay, well, let's look at the next verse, okay? So in verse 14, he says, you have confidence, come before God, ask anything according to his will. He's going to hear you. Verse 15, you know he hears you, you know he's going to answer. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. All right, and so right away, what is God's will for us as a church? His will for us is this, that we not live in sin. And whenever we see each other living in sin, what should we do? Pray. 
We should pray for one another. And, and the, the prayer of God's people, God will use it to bring us out of sin. Okay, It'll, He'll use it. What, what should we do when we see our brother in sin? We shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't act like we didn't see it. We, we shouldn't excuse it. We, 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 we shouldn't gossip about him. We, we, we shouldn't be offended. Many times the sin's against us, okay? And people go in the corner and they pout, you know, so-and-so sinned. Yeah, we're sinners. And when we see each other in sin, what should we do? We should pray. And verse 15 says, God will hear our prayer. Verse 16, God will restore. He will give life. He will bring the brother back. Is that not an incredible verse for the church? Huh? Man, I sure hope you guys obey Jesus in that. Especially if I'm the one in sin. Would you do that? God, God's going to use your prayer to bring me back into righteousness. Now, when people read this passage, what do you think they get hung up on? They get hung up on this next little phrase here in verse 16. Okay, To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Big question, right? What is this sin that leads to death, that John says, this isn't really what I'm talking about. I'm not saying to pray for this. I'm not giving you a promise here that, that God, will, God will restore the sinner who sins with the sin that leads to death. Okay, Let me give you two options. And the cool thing about these two options is they're both scripturally true. Okay, John only means one of them probably. And I'm going to tell you which one I think he means. But there's two options that I see are very true in the Bible. Okay, Number one, what's the sin that leads to death? Well, we find in the Bible that there are certain sins that believers commit that God takes them home, okay? In other words, physical death, that they actually result in physical death. Remember Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5? You know, the church is growing, booming. Barnabas gives some money for the poor, and Ananias and Sapphira see that. They want everybody to think like of them like people think of Barnabas, like he's real generous and kind and a godly man. And so they pretend to give more than they actually give. And they lie to the church. And you remember what happens in that passage? There's no praying for anybody. God strikes them down immediately. They're dead. It was a sin that led to death. 1 Corinthians 11.30, Paul talks about abuses in the Corinthian church in communion. Okay? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love each other in the church. We're supposed to meet each other's needs. We're supposed to sacrifice for each other like Christ has for the church. But in Corinth, whenever they would come for a fellowship meal, you know what would happen? The Martins would bring you know, their big spread of, of dishes and barbecue and all that Karen cooks. And the Dirkses, we'd bring a little bag of chips. That's all, you know? And we'd get there and sit down, you know, and, and the Martins would take their barbecue and they'd go like this, you know. And they'd be feasting on it, and my kids, I'd be handing them chips, you know. And not, not the Martins. They're always very generous. But that was what was happening in the church, okay? And, and, and here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. He says, some of you are sick. Some of you have died because of this. In other words, there were people that God says, man, I'm taking you home. We're not putting up with this anymore. You can't treat your brother that way. You can't dishonor Christ that way. You can't dishonor the church that way, Okay? So, indeed, there are in the Scriptures certain sins that believers committed that God just said, I'm taking you home, okay? I'm taking you home. I'm bringing you home. So, that, that's true, okay? I don't actually think that's what John's talking about, but that is true in the Scriptures. What do I think John's talking about? I think he's talking about professing believers who are unrepentant in habitual sin with hardened hearts, okay? Now, why do I think that? Well, whenever you're not sure what a passage of Scripture means, what should you do? 
you should look at the context, okay? So notice the next verse, the verse that we, we didn't read, verse 18, but it's the next verse in line, okay? And it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, okay? Now, have we heard this before? Numerous times already in 1 John. This is a continual theme. The theme is, if you're a born-again believer... You're not going to continue in habitual sin. You're not going to continue in unrepentant sin. No born-again believer stays in sin for a lifestyle. Okay, That doesn't happen. Okay, The Spirit of God convicts them. The Word of God convicts them. Other believers pray for them. And God brings them out of sin. He restores them. They come. They repent. They make things right. That's what believers do. But there were some in John's church that he's writing to whom that wasn't the case. So that's why in John chapter 3, verse 6, he says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. That's why he says in John, 1 John 3, 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. In, in John chapter 2, verse 19, John describes these folks who left. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Okay? So John is clearly teaching the point that born-again believers will not continue in a, in a habitual state of sin. I think that's what he's talking about here. Okay? So, so let's read it with that in mind, okay? So verse 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. I've known Bonnie Castor for 18 years, and I'm, I'm very convinced she's a born-again believer. I've seen the evidence of it in her time and time again. And believe it or not, I'm not going to mention it personally or specifically, because I don't want her to mention mine, but I've seen Bonnie sin. Sorry, Bonnie. I love you, but I know. I have. But you know what I've also seen? I've seen Bonnie quickly repent over and over again. Others of you could say, you could say the same about me, couldn't you? If we couldn't, we don't know each other very well. Or we're not very honest with each other. But the Spirit of God won't let Bonnie continue with a bitter heart, with an unforgiving heart. He won't let her continue living in sin okay so what does this verse say if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death he shall ask and god will give him life and so if i see bonnie sinning what do i do i pray i don't judge her i don't condemn her i don't gossip about her i get on my knees and i ask the father to send the word of god and i speak truth and what happens i can be sure of this bonnie will repent she'll repent she'll get right she'll make it right she'll make it right with jesus she'll make it right with others Okay, if she sees me in sin, what should she do? Pray. And, and if I'm a born-again believer, what's going to happen? Man, God's going to get all over me. I'm not going to be able to stay in sin. I'm going to repent. I'm going to get things right. Okay? But what if, what if there's someone professing Christ, but they don't really possess Jesus, as John's been describing here. They live a habitual life of sin. What does John say about that? To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I believe that's it. And I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, now be careful here. I don't think John's saying, you know, pray for this guy, don't pray for this guy, pray for this guy, don't pray for this guy. You know, some people take it that way. Some people are like, well, how do I know? How do I know? You know, they're almost afraid to pray for people because they're afraid that, you know, they're going to get the buzzer, you know? It's like, you know, Lord, I pray for Robert. Whew, okay, that was okay. Lord, I pray for Fred. Oh, that's okay. Lord, I pray for Claudius. Bzz, 
you know, no, you shouldn't have prayed for him. That's a sin. You know, no, I don't think John's saying that at all. I, I think what he's saying is you don't have this promise, this confidence of answered prayer. You don't have this promise of restoration. Why? Because they're not believers. Some have even linked this, and I don't think this is wrong. I, th- I think it actually goes along with it, to passages like Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, where the Bible tells us that there are some who, who profess Jesus. They're, they're included in the church in the sense of everybody thinks they're a believer. They may think they're a believer. They've, they've, they've seen the glory of God. They've seen the gospel. They've seen it lived out. They've been surrounded with it. But then they turn away right back into sin. And the writer of Hebrews says, for some who've hardened their hearts in that way, it's impossible to bring them again to repentance. If you remember in Matthew 12, Jesus speaks of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What was that? That was these guys who clearly saw the glory of God in the gospel. I mean, I mean, they're standing there watching Jesus heal a crippled person. They're watching him heal the blind. They're watching him raise the dead. And what do they have to say about it? Well, that guy must be of the devil. And Jesus is like, you know what, there's, there's no more hope for you. I mean, you, you've seen a clear demonstration of the glory of God, and you have rejected it again and again and again. Hebrews 12 talks about Esau, a man who rejected, who rejected, who rejected, who rejected, who rejected, and came to a point where it says he couldn't, he couldn't repent. He hardened his heart. Now, when is that point? Don't know. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know how all that works. You don't either. Nobody does. I mean, but I think, I think what John is saying is, there is a sin that leads to death. I think he's talking about these folks back in First John two nineteen. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And he's talking about them, and he's saying there's no assurance there. There's no promise there. There's no. There's no confidence that they will come back. Why? Because they never had the spirit to begin with. So, that should not discourage us from praying. That should encourage us to pray. Because the promise is for us as believers that God is going to use your prayers to bring back those who have fallen into sin. What an encouraging thing. Real quickly, and and the train messed me up today, so um, I'm behind. But I, I want to give you just a few um, encouragements to pray. And I want to give you a few hindrances to prayer before this evening, okay? So these are just going to be listed just real quickly, okay? Number one, our prayers are hindered when we are not right with one another, okay? I think we see that actually over in 1 John three twenty one, where he says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence for God. But we certainly see it lots of other places in the scripture. Whenever Jesus talks about prayer, it's always interesting what the next verse is. Okay, let me, let me show you this a couple times. Okay, So like in Mark eleven twenty four, he says, Therefore I tell you, when, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Okay, There's a great promise to pray. Okay, What do you think the next verse is about? Can you guess? Okay, Verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who's in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Over in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught us to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, 
Our Father in, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What do you think the next verse is going to be? Verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. 1 Peter 3. Husbands, live in an understanding way with your wives. As, as fellow heirs of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Proverbs 21. If you close your ear to the cry of the poor, God will close his ear to you. What do all those verses, what are they saying? They're saying, and it's consistent with what John's been saying about us loving each other. It's saying, if you're not right with one another, if you're not in the will of God with one another, then you can't pray the will of God. Right? I mean, that makes sense, right? How does that work? How, do, how does it work to be out of the will of God but praying the will of God? Okay? If I'm over here and I'm saying, you know, God, I'm not going to forgive. I don't care what you say. Or I'm going to be angry. I'm going to treat this person spitefully. I'm, I'm going to treat my wife, you know, badly because I'm mad at her. God, I want your will. Lord, I want your will in our church. God, I'm not going to do your will. I mean, that's like you, you have to be multiple personality to pull that off, okay? You got to be schizophrenic, okay? You, gotta, you, you can't do that. How can you say, God, I don't want your will. I want your will at the same time. And so broken relationships will hinder prayer. Number two, unbelief will hinder prayer. James 1, 6 through 8 tells us that when you ask for wisdom, you ought to ask in faith. You ought not ask God for his opinion, okay? That will hinder, that will hinder your prayer life. If you're the kind of person that prays, God, what do you think about this? And Lord, if I agree with it, I'll do it. He's not going to answer. God, God's not interested in, in you choosing which opinion is best. Okay, What God's interested in is you coming in faith. You coming saying, God, I believe. You show me, I'm in. James 4.3 says, God doesn't answer selfish prayers, prayers that simply cater to our own flesh. Lots of other things here I don't have time for. Let me, let me end with this. You're going to go tonight. I hope you go. I hope you make it. If you can't get on the roads, that's fine. That's kind of the policy of Lincoln. I know there were lots of churches that canceled today. Please just know this. We usually don't. Um, sometimes, in, in rare occasions, we do. But we don't want you to put yourself at jeopardy. If you don't think it's good to get out, and we don't want you breaking a hip, you know, that you stay home. A lot of people did today. That's fine. But we just know there are other folks that if we don't have church, they're going to be at Walmart. So, hey, you might as well be at church, okay? That's what I think. Um, but if you can get out tonight and go, listen, I want, you to, I want you to know that God wants us to pray about all, all of our needs, okay? If you're sick, your family's sick, you should pray for that. You know, if you're, if you're trying to figure out whether you should trade or keep the vehicle you got, we're, we're doing that right now, you should pray about that, okay? But, but please know this. Don't forget to pray about the bigger things. Okay? Don't forget to pray about your own righteousness, your own holiness, the holiness of your church, your brother that's slipping in his faith. There's where the power is. There's where the promise is. There's where the assurance is that God will answer. And, and here's, here's what I think. I think when, when we get that stuff, when we pray for that stuff fervently, I think the other stuff falls in line. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus 
talks to people who are worried about what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drive, what they're going to live in. And, and he says this. He says, man, don't be anxious about those things. Your father knows you need them. And then he says this, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I, I think when we use that as our guide to prayer, you say, well, man, pastor, I don't, I don't know what I should pray for. That's why you got this book, right? Isn't that cool that you got a book that helps you pray? So, so if you don't know what to pray, just open up to uh, anywhere, really. But this is what I did in the first service, so I'll do it here. Philippians 4. Open up to Philippians 4. Start reading. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Father, help us to rejoice, God. There's lots of times where we don't, we don't feel like rejoicing, God. Lord, there's times where we grumble, God, we're, we complain, we get upset. Uh, Lord, forgive us, and God, put a spirit of joy in me. Amen. What did we just do? We just read God's will, and then wherever our will was, we tried to pull it over, right? You just keep reading. Um, verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Okay. Lord, I'm anxious, you know, right? Pray, pray the scriptures. Pray His will. Hopefully you'll take an opportunity to do that tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for uh, giving us Jesus that we might come and that we might draw on your power, that we might draw on your, your, your infinite ability to accomplish all that is good. And Father, we, we ask you to make us people of prayer. Make us people who call on you for the best things. And Lord, pull our hearts, pull them away from, from selfishness and, and our own desires. And God, mold our hearts to your heart. Lord, may our will be your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?